This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Welcome to the show. We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. This week on Without Compromise, we are joined by Emily Capodalupo, the Senior Vice President of Data Science and Research at WHOOP. We're going to be discussing the relationship between alcohol, sleep, and performance because for the month of January, we're challenging anybody on WHOOP to join our Give Dry a Try team uh, and just try to go dry for the month of January. What we're going to do is see what it's like when you don't drink alcohol for an entire month. How do you feel? What does your recovery look like? How's your sleep quality? What are all those indicators on the WHOOP band that show how it affects your performance. And don't worry, we're nearly halfway through January. You can still join the team. And if you want to just try to do a week or two days or, or one day without alcohol, you can do that too. It'll track all that and take all that into consideration. But this interview with Emily was incredibly interesting because there's a lot we already do know about how alcohol affects sleep and recovery. But this is going to give us a slightly different idea around long-term effect when you cut it out for an entire month. So going to be pretty interesting to see what happens. We should have that data uh, not long after January, but Emily's about to go on maternity leave. She's pregnant and getting ready to have a baby. So congrats, Emily. And thank you so much for taking the time so close to when you're about to leave. So we really appreciate it. And we might have to talk to someone else to dive into this data uh, right after January because ho hopefully you're spending time with your baby. But all right, let's go ahead and jump in. Emily Capodalupo, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for making the time. I know we're working together uh, with Whoop and Athletic Brewing right now, which has been so awesome to see and the amount of folks that are uh, helping us with that project. But I, I wanted to, before we really dive into what we're going to talk about, the relationship between uh, like alcohol and recovery and sleep and whatnot, I wanted to know, what has this journey at Whoop been like for the last, what, 10 years now? You were the first full-time employee. I'm, I'm sure things have changed. <laughs> yeah, it definitely changed. I mean, when I joined, there were four of us and um, now there's many, many times more than that. You know, I think more importantly than that, when I joined, it was really just a promise. Uh, we didn't have a working prototype. We didn't have any customers. We didn't even know if this was possible at all. But Will Ahmed, the founder and CEO, he was motivated by the fact that there's so much out there that's telling us to just, you know, just do it, just push, do more. And he was looking around at all of these motivated people who pushed themselves too far and so didn't need to be told, keep pushing. Actually, quite the opposite, needed permission to take a break and to let their bodies heal and to think about sleep as just important as training in order to hit those goals. And you know, it just took like a couple minutes after meeting him for that to just resonate so hard. I was a gymnast my whole life and, you know, just saw over and over again where people don't let injuries fully heal because there's so much pressure to get back out there, you know, and they do just one more rep because there's so much pressure to learn new skills and all these things. And, and you lose sight of the fact that 
sometimes the best thing you can do for your body is plop down on the couch, put your feet up and watch TV, right? (laughs) Most of the country doesn't need to hear that message, but a lot of people do. Kind of that was where we started was this idea of like, there are people who need permission to rest and we're going to figure out when the best time is to give people that permission so that when they push, they push knowing that they're benefiting from pushing. And when they rest, they can rest knowing that they're not being lazy or not working hard enough. They're actually doing something really important. And so we were talking about, you know, sleep before talking about sleep was cool. Uh, (laughs) It's just been a really great journey because while we've expanded our target audience quite a bit since then, and, you know, have really grown the product into a much broader offering, there's still that really important core of like, how do we help people know what their body really needs, especially when those things are maybe counter to what folklore or common knowledge is telling them. Do, do you remember what was causing Will and yourself to like think this way to say, it's actually it's actually recovery and sleep that are the missing link here. What Was there any indication outside of just people pushing themselves to extremes? Uh, I, I mean, any hard data or anything that we knew that that was, that was actually important. It was just not as... Uh, focused on yeah well I mean for Will personally he was the captain of the Harvard squash team and you know he kind of took being captain as like okay I need to work harder than everyone else and then burnt out and so he really sort of saw like you can get punished if you work too hard and the people who worked less hard actually did better than him because they were giving their bodies the necessary recovery and that sort of triggered this moment of you know let's go look into the research. And at the time I was working at uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital, which is a Harvard affiliated hospital in the division of sleep medicine, and really trying to, you know, understand human sleep in particular, like what healthy normal sleep looked like. And so had read a lot of literature around things like, um, you know, the relationship between sleep deprivation and car accidents, and, you know, all these elements of like cognitive performance, and there's studies that have been done that, you know, show that, Uh, There's a great study published by Sherry Ma at Stanford in 2011, and she took their, uh, the collegiate basketball team, which is, you know, it's a big 10 school. So it's a Mm -hmm. very legitimate team and had the athletes sleep like 10 hours a night. So like way more than what they were doing. And they had no injuries that season. They improved their free throw percentage. They had like one of their best seasons ever. I can send you the link uh, if you want to put them in your show notes. Uh, But it, it was just unbelievable. And the crazy thing about this study was that the athletes at baseline were actually getting like what we would consider a decent amount of sleep. Like it wasn't like they were getting four hours, they were getting like a normal amount of sleep. And then she took them to like kind of an extreme, like to get 10 hours of sleep. And so a lot of the athletes weren't complaining about things like they weren't tired. Um, but then she showed them that like, if you actually get fully rested every night and, you know, extended their sleep by an average, of, I think it was like an hour or so. Um, that they would have all of these benefits. And so the fact that just by increasing their sleep and changing absolutely nothing about training, they improved these like very training specific metrics, like free throw percentage, and then had these other huge gains. Like if you can reduce injuries, then, you know, then your good players actually get to play uh, and stuff like that. So um, just, you know, increasing athlete availability, increasing performance, increasing fitness. I think she also tested things like their vertical jump height, 
couple of other things in that study. Um, so really um, lots and lots of studies all over the place from specifically in athletics to, um, you know, things like reaction time and cognitive performance have all been really strongly correlated with sleep. And so we've known academically that this is important, but culturally we've really deprioritized sleep for a long time. And in fact, like almost stigmatized it, right? Like if you're not tired, it's like, almost perceived like you're not important enough to be busy. You don't have enough going on <laughs> to keep you up late at night. And so people wear their sleep deprivation as, as like almost a badge of their importance. And we know, you know, it's quite the opposite. And if you look at some of the most successful people in the world, they do prioritize sleep. Mm. Has that been a hard principle to practice with such uh, such growth <laughs> and so many innovative things you've been working on the last 10 years. Has that been hard to actually do? There are yeah. times you have to be sleep deprived and in corporate America and this the business world, it is a badge of honor. Uh, but y- the work you're doing is, is, is literally meant to do the opposite in the sense of break that stigma. Has that been hard for you? Yeah. And I mean, there's definitely times when, you know, it's sort of, there's the painful irony where I'm up late working <laughs> on our sleep features. Uh, here's my sleep's important at midnight. But I will say, you know, Whoop has done a really good job from the beginning of trying to foster a culture that promotes sleep. One of the things that we do as a company, so everybody obviously wears a Whoop, so we're all tracking our sleep. And Whoop gives all of its employees $100 a month if we hit a certain sleep target. You know, and we talk about it a lot. We call it Whoop Z's <laughs> and, or a sleep bonus. And um, the, uh, and most people are, or actually, I don't know what the stats are, but I think last time I asked, it was you know, most people are hitting that most months. And we really do encourage people to try and hit those baselines. And we've tried to create a culture around bragging about your good recovery scores and bragging about, about your good sleep scores and not uh, bragging about, you know, I'm so important that I only got five hours of sleep. You know, I think that it, it definitely happens at, points where you're going to have a late night, but if you're constantly getting enough sleep, your body's in a much better place to handle a late night here or there than if you're like sleep deprived at base. And then like sort of the thing happens that makes you need to stay up even later. You just don't have that resilience. And so, you know, I think that nobody is perfect. There are some people I'm so impressed with. I have uh, one colleague who I swear gets like a hundred percent of her sleep every night and is a mother of two. And I have no idea how she <laughs> is so good at life and disciplined. <laughs> but I think that if you really read the research and you understand how important it is, it becomes a lot easier to implement it in your life. And beyond that, once you implement it in your life, you really do feel better. And so it's not just theoretical, like, oh, I think I'm going to live longer if I do this thing. But I know what it feels like to be well rested. I know how much better I perform and how much sharper I feel and uh, all of those things when I'm properly rested that it, that sort of starts to become its own motivation. And I'm nine months pregnant, so I'm not fully rested right now, but congratulations. Thank you. Wait, nine months. We're getting close to a threshold here. We're we're that's uh any day now, I guess. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You are probably going to be my last podcast for a little bit, but (laughs) we're honored. uh, We are honored. uh, I'm honored. This is so much fun for me. So thank you for uh, inviting me. But you know, you really do feel the difference, and 
So I think like, you know, my advice to people who are struggling with that is like, you know, to take a week, it's really all it takes and really, really focus on sleep. And it might be hard because there are so many wonderful distractions in our lives. Like many of us have really fun things <laughs> to keep us up late at night. Um, you know, it's not just work, but once you feel what it feels like to be rested, <laughs> you don't want to go back. I'm sure that's a huge part of it. A lot of people probably never have experienced it in the first place. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like anything quality, anything high quality. Once you go to that, it's like, it's very mm -hmm. hard to go back. Uh, but mon something you mentioned before is, is ahead of a time, you know, you're going to be up or going to have to be sleep deprived. Maybe it's a job or, you know, having a child, mm -hmm. you're, you know, there's, there's going to be things. So being rested ahead of that, I, I just talked to a guy last week on my other podcast who was sailing around the world by himself and there were storms that he would approach. And he said the most important thing he was taught and then learned about approaching a storm in a sailboat was sleeping as much as possible ahead of time because you knew you were going to have to be up for like two to three days straight. And just as hard as it was, sleep, sleep, sleep the, the days before and just rest as much as possible. And he's like, I would have never found that out on my own if I hadn't read it from an old timer. And I thought that was really interesting. I'm like, I never would have guessed, but it makes perfect sense. So it's funny that you mentioned that too. Um, the data backs that up. That's really interesting. Yeah, and the data backs it up really strongly, both for your ability to perform and also just how you're going to feel. We published a paper um, almost two years ago now in conjunction with uh, the CDC and with Harvard and we were looking at mental health and sleep and uh, specifically how sleep changed at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we saw that people who were getting more sleep and sleeping at more regular times pre-pandemic like had better mental health outcomes during all of the stress of the early lockdowns and uh, COVID kind of remediation policies. And so, and, and the results were really strong. It was you know, huge differences in, you know, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, um, trauma and stress related disorders, like all of these different markers of mental health. And so that like, there's just so many dimensions in which like, if you can sleep and be rested, even if some stressful event later, whether it's, you know, needing to be up for a storm or needing to stay up late for work, even if that's going to disrupt your sleep temporarily. And in our study temporarily was six weeks. So we're not even talking about like one night, you're going to do so much better for having had that background of being rested. So wow. you can almost in a way, like save up on sleep or bank it a little bit. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. Now, now I know we haven't dived into uh, uh, the relationship between alcohol and sleep in recovery, but I did want to ask, did y'all foresee at Whoop that alcohol or people's habits around it would be such a big part of the Whoop research and the motivation for people to wear Whoop and just what's being tracked? Did you, did you foresee that as being such a big, big thing that people were thinking about, talking about and, and, and focused on? Yeah, I mean, you know, alcohol has kind of always been up there with coffee as like the world's favorite favorite drug. So, you know, it's extremely pervasive and, you know, absolutely everybody who's, you know, had a big night of drinking can tell you that they feel like crap the next day. So it's extremely, I think there's a lot of just intuition around it even before, 
we you know, did any analysis just because it's so ubiquitous. Um, but one of our, actually our very first client was the Harvard squash team because it was Will's former team. And so he, <laughs> and they were using Whoop, you know, before Whoop even worked, it was really, really early prototypes. I think manual data entry and all that. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, it was, it was not elegant yet. It was, I mean, more, uh, more like almost data collection than really using the product. And so they had a pattern of um, when they didn't have practice the next day, even though they were supposed to be dry in season, you know, they would use that as permission. Like, I don't have practice tomorrow morning. I'm going to you know, go out and drink because they're college students. Um, and they also had a habit of, you know, after a big match, if you won, um, you know, going out and celebrating. And they noticed, you know, our, in our very first version of the recovery score that they would just absolutely tank their scores. Hmm. And it was the strongest impact of anything that we had seen. And so we kept seeing this pattern of, you know, the whole team collectively would tank their recoveries together. It's because they were buddies and they would all drink together. Um, And so we asked them what was going on and we realized that it was alcohol and we showed them that data. And what we saw that was so incredible was it took one meeting of here's what happens to your data as a team when you drink for them to say, okay, we're done drinking and go dry for the rest of the season. And they won NC2A championships that year. And, you know, we definitely don't take all the credit. They're actually a very good team. (laughs) But they went from last to first. No, it wasn't that. No, we can claim that. But they gave us, uh, you know, some of the credit. And, you know, it's impossible to know how much uh, is the right amount. But what was so powerful for us in that moment, uh, regardless of what role we played in, in the championship was we do know that we played a huge role in them stopping to drink and and committing to going dry because they both saw in the data and then sort of reinforced by how much better they felt um, and how much better they thought training was going and how good they were feeling and obviously how well um, the team was performing. They made this really significant and countercultural, right? College undergrads <laughs> um, decision to do something because they sort of, they were convinced by the data. And so it was the, the first example and such a powerful one for us of how empowering people with their data can help them make decisions and, and change behavior that, you know, other methods just don't work as well, right? The coach had told them to be dry in season. And obviously, like, we were not the first ones who ever said, hey, alcohol is probably not great for performance. Like, that wasn't in itself a new finding. But by showing it to them in their data and, like, how personalized that moment was, that was all they needed. And that was it. Um, behavior changed and, um, you know, kind of <laughs> you know, totally changed team culture. And so we got really excited about that because not only is it such a driver of poor recovery, poor sleep, but it's also something that we have a tremendous amount of control over. There's a lot of things you can do other than drink, and it's a big lever um, that we have. And, and you know, I think one of the things that's so cool about your product with Athletic Brewing is you can almost like have your cake and eat it too, right? <laughs> you can still have a beer. You can still go socialize. You can do all of those things. And then you don't have to have, you know, all of the alcohol. Um, so maybe it's going to make it that much easier for other people to look at their data and, um, you know, make that healthy decision for themselves because mm. there's a better alternative. 
Wow, that's like a, if there's ever a Whoop movie, that's got to be the story. Like the big, <laughs> like, they went on to win the national championship. Uh, and I'm sure that was super exciting for y'all to see, mm -hmm. wow, when you personalize data, it leads to potentially drastic decisions uh, to improve their lives or performance or what uh, they believe will lead to improved performance. So I'm sure for y'all, that was amazing validating and what you were doing and what you were working on. Um, and to see the outcome, it's like amazing, absolutely astonishing. But so, so I, one thing that I thought was really interesting that I learned about sleep when listening to you and, and reading about, uh, the research y'all have done is how hard your body is working while it's sleeping. That's something I never really considered. Uh, but it makes perfect sense when, uh, you talk about how an alcoholic drink, uh, basically robs your body of that, uh, the work that it's going to be doing on your recovery and has to go deal with this thing called alcohol in your body to where you still might sleep a long time, but not, it's not quality sleep kind of like, and I assume caffeine similar. Uh, tell me about that. Your body working while it's sleeping. Yeah. Um, so sleep, you know, when we look at somebody who's sleeping, the perception is they're doing nothing, right? Cause you don't see anything going on, but uh, physiologically, sleep is extremely active. There's a number of different protein synthesis processes that happen only during sleep. Um, and they require basically like shutting down <laughs> in order to allow us to devote the resources to these kind of bigger, important things. Um, and so we have to quiet our body and stop certain things and you kind of get that what outwardly looks like this, you know, not doing anything calm state, because so much work is going into these kind of behind the scenes things. And like you said, alcohol is a sedative. And so it makes you look asleep, but it also is inhibiting all of those really important active processes. And so if you go to bed drunk, you're not sleeping. I mean, you look like you're asleep and technically you're sleeping, but you're, you're more like being sedated than being asleep. And so even though you might get nine hours of sleep, it's really low quality sleep. And so you're going to wake up the next morning tired and confused why nine hours of sleep left you tired. And, you know, everybody who's like had a big night of drinking has felt that where, um, you know, it's a big part of what that like hangover feeling is, is it's that you're actually quite exhausted, but also quite groggy from being out for so long. Uh, you know, our data is really interesting around that point, like uh, the timing between when you stop drinking and when you go to bed is as much of a determinant of like how much it tanks your recovery and ruins your sleep as like the quantity that you're drinking. And so if you can sober up before you go to bed, that's the difference between having like, you know, two glasses of wine at dinner and then going to bed four hours later versus, um, you know, like a nightcap right before bed will have very different impacts on your sleep and recovery because it's the difference between, you know, having drank, but then actually sleeping versus drinking and then being sedated. And so robbing yourself of the opportunity to have that really good quality sleep. You know, it, I, I, I'll, I'm a, I'll be honest, I'm not personally, very much uh, historically been involved with my personal data. It's changing mm -hmm. through things, you know, like this partnership and just being more interested in understanding that that might lead to knowing what's going on in me is going to lead to healthier decisions. But one thing that opened my eyes was probably a year ago, 
listening to a podcast with an NBA player, and he said that he used to enjoy a glass of wine with dinner, oftentimes, you know, the night before the game or a few nights before the game, and then he started wearing a tracking device. I, I don't know if it was Whoop or not, but he said that the next day, immediately after starting to wear that, the next day after he had a, a glass of wine, his sleep quality had tanked. And that very day, he said, I'm not doing that anymore. Because for him, you know, millions of dollars are at stake with contracts yeah. and performance and his, you know, legacy in a lot of ways. And he's like, a glass of wine is absolutely not worth that. So I'm, that's a small sacrifice to make. But it was that data that opened his eyes. And I got, I, you know, I, ever since I was like, wow, that's amazing. And so to hear you talk about this is is even more uh, interesting to to learn that a difference that makes you want to make changes. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a good point that you made there too, which is that, um, you know, I think people hear me talk about alcohol and they're like, oh, she must like think alcohol is evil and be like a total teetotaler or whatever. And I don't. What I most uh, strongly advocate for is that it's worth understanding how your body responds to these things and what the consequences are so that you can make an informed decision about those consequences and the consequences for somebody who wear millions of dollars and, you know, the game are at stake are very different for somebody that like, you know, if you're out with your girlfriends and you don't need to perform tomorrow and you have time to sleep in and, you know, you want to make that decision, there are like safe and even beneficial ways to enjoy, you know, responsible quantities of alcohol. Um, you know, our data shows that, you know, a drink has a pretty small effect. And, you know, if you're, you know, an athlete, a small effect can be the difference between winning and losing. Or, or second and first place. Uh, yeah, that we see that sure. a lot. Those, those, those very small differences can, you know, that that's what matters at the very top, but that's yeah. also very few people. Right. And, you know, very few people on very few specific moments. So I think like, you know, the thing I advocate for the most strongly is you should know what you're doing and have access to that information so that you can make that informed decision. And, you know, it's great to hear, um, you know, with that athlete that you're referencing that, you know, he was able to learn that about himself and drive that behavior change. And I think somebody who's just you know, in a, a sort of lower stakes role, not like an elite athlete or anything might look at that same data and go like, it's okay to occasionally on vacation or, you know, whatever on a weekend um, to, to make a different choice. Um, and, but you should just know what you're doing. That's uh, yeah. Th and thanks for clarifying that because athletic feels the same way. We are not anti-alcohol here. A lot of people have that misconception. It really is. No, it, it's when you want a beer, but not the effect of alcohol for whatever reason. Maybe it's like you, you're, you know, if you're pregnant or you've got to drive somewhere, um, a port, an important thing to know is 80% of the people that drink athletic brewing also drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. But what we find is when people find us as an option, they tend to cut down significantly, almost unintentionally, because it's, it's such a great tasting beer that they, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, this actually scratches that itch for me. I'm fine with this. And there's none of the downside. Um, what, what, what trends have you seen with whoop users and alcohol use over time? Do you notice people start wearing whoop and certain things immediately start changing about them? Like, is there some sort of common story there or have you just noticed over time 
society changing around alcohol consumption? What, what, what have you seen? Yeah, we haven't specifically looked at societal changes over time, although that would be really interesting to look at. But we've definitely seen that most people who join WHOOP and are, you know, drinking at some some amount of you know, regularity uh, will reduce that over time. And of course, we have thousands of anecdotes at this point of people saying, you know, what we've been talking about this whole podcast, you know, that it's such an eye-opening moment the first time they see the effects of alcohol quantified. The uh, sort of easiest way to get a single-digit recovery score, and the WHOOP recovery score is, you know, zero to 100. It's a measure of how ready your body is to respond to the challenges of the day. You know, the easiest way to really tank that score is to drink a lot. And so, you know, most people will sort of see you know, reasonable day-to-day changes, you know, maybe going up or down like 20, 30 points, you know, over the course of a week as they have like harder days and easier days, and then they'll drink and it'll just go like way down. And um, so it, it tends to be something that really stands out to them in aggregate, you know, across our entire member base. It's one of the most uh, impactful things you can do to ruin your recovery score. And so, and, and then of course, like, it's data that people have a really easy time believing because they see the bad recovery score. They don't feel great. And, um, you know, they don't want that to happen again. And, and so we do see people reducing alcohol, but we also see shifting patterns in the use. So we see like a lot of reduction of alcohol during the week, but less of a reduction on weekends, which is kind of what you and I were talking about, right? It's, it's not necessarily that they're totally quitting. Maybe they're substituting it out or just being more thoughtful about what days they can and can't afford to have that hit to their performance. Um, you know, by far most of the alcohol, like um, so Saturdays is our most common day to drink. It's about, you know, 15% more Saturdays uh, have alcohol consumed on them than, uh, you know, sort of average day. So it, it's a big increase on the weekends, which you wouldn't be surprised about. We see a big increase on holidays um, and the nights before holidays. So, you know, think like Christmas Eve or whatever, you know, any day that you're going to have the next day off. Um, we, we see those big increases in alcohol consumption. So we're seeing um, definitely people still drinking, but def- uh, drinking less and drinking maybe more intelligently or thoughtfully. Mm. And speaking of time of the week, I also saw time of the year, December yeah. is the time of year people drink the most. But what's fascinating is that January is the, the time that people drink the least. Yeah. Do you think that's just a, in a way to kind of purge the system or just say, hey, I just went through a lot of drinking. Let me, let me cut back because we're obviously in January right now. And a big thing people mm-hmm. do this time of year is not drink the entire month of January. We call it give dry a try here at athletic, but that's a time. A lot of people find us. Yeah. You know, I think that there's a lot of things going on. So you people, there's the whole new year's resolution thing. There's the getting healthy after, you know, the five week holiday period from Thanksgiving to new year's where um, you know, people maybe like fall off the wagon a little bit with uh, their training, their eating, they're all out of their schedules. So we definitely see um, by a good margin, the most drinking is happening in December. And then almost like 
in perfect balance to that by a very good margin. January is the least. By February, they're kind of, they're almost back to their, you know, sort of average for the year. And and by March, they are. <laughs> so you see this like, you know, big spike in December, big drop in January. They're most of the way back by February and they really are back by March. Any, anything new you expect out of, out of the data we're going to gather with this Give Dry a Try group? Or is it just confirmation of what we already know about the relationship between alcohol and, and sleep and recovery? Well, one of the things that's so powerful about, you know, taking a whole month dry is you really do get it out of your system. And so people are going to have that opportunity to really feel like what, you know, is this something that feels better for me? You know, and <laughs> is this something I want to keep going? It's kind of hard sometimes to appreciate you know, if you just like skip one drink or one night, like really, what did that do? Um, Cause you know, you know, there's some craving or maybe it turns into like permission to drink the next night. So it just oh, it's gets... like working out one time. Yeah. You're not going to get going to, you're going to be sore and you'll notice that, but you're not going to like be fitter in two weeks from now right. working out once. No, that's like the perfect analogy, right? Like you go to the gym once, nothing really happens. Um, You go for 30 days and like, you know, you start to feel hot and like, I look good. I feel good. All these things. And it becomes easier to sustain. I think that what we're going to see is that some people are going to realize that they do feel better. And um, there's a lot of interesting behavioral science research around how long does it take for like active behavior change to just become habit. Um, and we kind of have to stop fighting for it. And kind of 30 days is right around that mark. Um, and so I think that, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to follow the cohort and, and see how they do and how we should follow up with them and see, you know, are they reporting feeling better? What do they think they got out of it? Um, and if they're going to keep going once the sort of social experiment and the fun of the community is over at the end of the month. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but I, I'm excited to see, get some of the reports of how folks are feeling 30 days in. Cause like you said, we're about just under halfway through. For the folks that might be going back to having alcohol after January or, uh, or you know, just giving dry a try maybe for a week or two, what are some tips based on what y'all have learned over at Whoop uh, of, of ways to minimize the effect of alcohol on their sleep and recovery? Because we, you know, we, there were a few things you mentioned before. We know it tanks it, but what, what can they do if they want to just go out and have a good time uh, but still not totally ruin their sleep and recovery? What What are some things they should keep in mind? Great question. So first off, we know that alcohol, um, you know, it, it can also dehydrate you. Um, and so if you drink and hydrate, so alcohol plus water versus alcohol and not enough water, there's about a 5% difference in recovery, uh, which is really significant. So you can... I mean, so you're still going to have like alcohol is going to be the stronger uh, factor. And so it, your recovery is still going to be worse than if you hadn't drank. Um, but you can significantly offset that hit by being properly hydrated. Uh, the other one, which we touched on a little bit is the, if you have more spacing between when you stop drinking and go to bed and not advocating that you just stay up even later, but if you can stop drinking you know, two hours before bedtime or three hours before bedtime, especially like in those four hours leading into bedtime, 
um, the recovery hit is much less because it lets you process the alcohol while you're still awake. And so the sleep time, you actually get to actively sleep versus if you go to bed drunk, then you both have the effect of, you know, having poisoned yourself and all the work that your liver has to do to counterbalance that as well as the effect of, you know, not having had uh, productive sleep. And so, um, you know, if, if you can have some spacing between sleeping and, and drinking, and if you can drink water or other kinds of hydrating beverages uh, alongside the alcohol, you can make it uh, a much, much smaller hit. And then of course, um, you know, having the time to, to get enough sleep because your sleep is gonna be much, much lower quality. Um, so it's gonna take longer to get all those active processes in. Because eventually what happens, because um, alcohol's half-life is relatively short. And so eventually you sober up. And so then like the latter part of your sleep tends to be better quality sleep because mm. the alcohol's out of your system. And so if you can sleep late, that's, that's also gonna help because it'll take you longer to get the sleep you need. D does food affect that at all? Yeah, food can help uh, in a couple different ways. So if you're eating, especially like fatty foods or different things like that, while you're drinking, you can actually slow the absorption rate. And so the alcohol doesn't spike as much. Um, like if you drink on an empty stomach, you're going to absorb it faster. You kind of get drunk faster and it's, it's more intense. Um, so if you're eating along the way, uh, that, that can help a little bit. Um, it also kind of purging the alcohol from your system because it is a poison like it's actually a pretty active process and so if you fuel your body well to like take on this task you're going to more efficiently clean it out um so eating along the way and you can think about double dipping here right like eating healthy foods uh that have a high water content to help with the hydration piece can help um you know <laughs> Uh, but you know, it only helps so much. Like I think people say things like, oh, it'll like sop up all the alcohol, like it, all the alcohol is still going to get into your blood eventually. Um, but it does help a little bit. Emily, this was super interesting. Any, anything else that you want to share before we wrap up just between the relationship of alcohol and, and sleep and recovery and what you know and what you've learned at Whoop or, or, or maybe a takeaway you want folks to know? Well, I'd say like my most important takeaway is We've just seen over and over again how empowering it is to understand your own body and to see these things quantified at the, the personal level because everybody really does respond really differently to alcohol and, it, and not always necessarily exactly the way they think. And so you, know, you hear all the time like people say like, oh, I just want to have a glass of wine before bed because it like helps me fall asleep. And like they might have this perception that, you know, this is helping me sleep, or this is good for me. And the data might say something very different. And so I think it's, you know, if you can give yourself permission to, you know, try and quantify these things, if you don't want to get a, you know, a wearable, you can try and do this just by journaling your experience, but really paying attention to how do I respond to these things and, you know, trying to be objective as possible. How am I, do I, would I rate my performance the next day and, you know, whatever performance means to you, whether that's athletic performance, you know, um, social performance, uh, you know, work performance, all those different things. My karaoke performance, which might take more alcohol. You know, yeah. <laughs> but I think that we should make decisions from an informed point of view. And, you know, that's all we're trying to do here. We're not 
advocating for never having a drink ever again. We're certainly not advocating for drinking every night, um, but we do want people to to be empowered by understanding their bodies and being able to make those decisions. Because what we see most of the time is that it has bigger impacts than people have appreciated and it helps spur these behavior changes. And then those behavior changes are sustained because once we get you to try something by showing it to you in the data, you start to realize how much better you do feel. If you want to join our team during this Give Dry a Try challenge, the details and the link for that are in the show notes. And there's still plenty of time to join. There's a little over two weeks left in January, so don't wait. You can still you know, do something really interesting and find out a lot about yourself. And if you want to learn more about Whoop, I, I, you, you might not be familiar. Check that out, too. It'll explain what that is and how you use it and what it can track. So give Dry a try. Give Dry a Try.